Hello and welcome to this week's Cosmic Creating Show. My name is Jan Shaw, known as the Success Alchemist. You can find me at successalchemist.net, at the web alchemist.net, and at empoweredmanifestation.com. Also on YouTube and Facebook, Jan Shaw, the Success Alchemist, and on Twitter at Coach Jan Shaw. And today is the 9th of October 2021, and the title of today's show is Crimes Against Humanity, Election 2020, and Fake Whistleblower. So I'm going to run through just some headlines, and I'll be going into more detail on some of them, but so much is happening, I don't have time for everything, I'm afraid. But I just wanted to pick out the key points that have come up this week. And <clears throat> on the 4th of October, uh, Facebook, WhatsApp, and Instagram all went down, apparently due to a uh, DNS Error. So I think it's to do with the name servers that were changed by somebody doing a configuration change. Interestingly, there was a, a person on Telegram, uh, or at least there was a post on Telegram, which was a screenshot of an anonymous post. I don't know on which board it was. Um, it said, I work for a major global internet entity and I'm hearing whispers that there will be a mass internet outage event just after noon Eastern time. First, social media networks will go down, followed by the rest of the clear net. It's already beginning. I am sorry. Um, and it says, by the person that posted this, uh, I think, it, yeah, it's QTAS underscore 17. Somebody on poll, that must be the board, knew the internet outage was coming and posted about it early this morning. And the headlines were related to Facebook, WhatsApp and Instagram, which are all Facebook owned. But there is um, a site that reports on outages, and I can't remember the name of it now, but it was showing many, many sites that were down at the same time. And Facebook was down for quite a few hours on the 4th. So that was interesting. And then, of course, we have this fake whistleblower from Facebook, who uh, a lot of people are writing about this to say that it this whistleblower must be fake because all the mainstream media fake news are jumping on her and... She's notorious. She was interviewed on 60 Minutes. I think she even um, spoke in Congress about it. And it's interesting that what she is calling for is more censorship, which, of course, promotes the agenda of the deep state. And interesting that the whistleblower should come out just very quickly. I think it was just after this outage and people were speculating that Facebook was removing um, incriminating material on Facebook. Now, whether that's true, I don't know. But there's some weird goings on at the moment. And then um, I just wanted to highlight that Biden is going to release the January 6th documents um, against Trump's executive privilege. They want this fake um, investigation, this committee about the January 6th so-called insurrection um, to have all these documents from the Trump administration. And Trump is claiming executive privilege and Biden is overruling him. And on the subject of January 6th, um, I just want to highlight the difference in the way that people are being treated. So this week we had an 18-year-old um, Texas school shooter who shot four people. I think they were all injured, not killed, who was then released on bail. I don't know. The, I saw two numbers mentioned, $25,000 bail, and somewhere else it was $75,000 bail bond. But... Um, can compare and contrast that with the people that were arrested as being present on January 6th. And they are 
being refused bail and they're being held indefinitely as what we are calling political prisoners. And, you know, this is mainly for a trespass um, misdemeanor, as it were. And it just shows that uh, the law does not treat people equally anymore. The latest example of this, and this is Gateway Pundit reporting on October the 5th, judge denies bail to Jeremy Brown. Former Green Beret was arrested Thursday after he earlier refused FBI request to be informant plant at January 6th rallies. So um, obviously they don't like him because he didn't um, agree to be a stooge for the FBI. The article said that Jeremy was charged with trespassing and misdemeanor. Uh, but it goes on to say Jeremy Brown never entered the US Capitol on January 6th. His crime was in reality refusing to be an FBI informant, as we described below. So um, I don't want to go into all of this because I want to really focus today on COVID vaccine issues because this is really getting out of hand and uh, people need to be made aware of the uh, crimes against humanity. So I'm going to start with the latest VAERS adverse event reports. And this is um, a total of 778,683 reports. That's through October the 1st, 2021. We've got 16,310 deaths. 75,605 hospitalizations, 87,814 in urgent care, 121,305 doctor office visits, 7,141 anaphylaxis, 9,446 Bell's palsy. And it goes on, we've got miscarriages, heart attacks, myocarditis and pericarditis, 23,000 plus permanently disabled, um, thrombocytopenia low platelets, over 3,000, over 17,000 life-threatening, over 30,000 severe allergic reaction and over 9,000 shingles cases. But we need to look at this knowing that these adverse reactions are seriously underreported and McCola posted an article and this was on the 8th yesterday practical reasons why vaccine injuries are rarely reported now um i have downloaded this because as i said before McCola has started removing his articles after 48 hours because of the uh, attacks he's getting from from the deep state um trying to take him down basically so um i will share the link to the pdf because um obviously if you go to the site after the 48 hours is up then you won't be able to find this article and the story at a glance, Deborah Conrad, a physician's assistant, is blowing the whistle on COVID jab injuries and the fact that these injuries are rarely reported to the US Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System as required by law. The purpose of VAERS is to detect possible signals of adverse events associated with vaccines. Collecting data on side effects is particularly crucial when dealing with a never-before-used medical products such as mRNA and DNA-based COVID injections. Conrad saw a dramatic rise in several different health problems as the COVID jabs were rolled out. One of the most surprising problems has been a sudden rise in cancers among vaccinated patients whose cancer had gone into remission before the jab. Other conditions that have dramatically risen among vaccinated patients include heart attacks, strokes, blood clots, pneumonia, sepsis, gastrointestinal or intestinal complaints and bleeds, appendicitis and pancreatitis. In a high-wire exclusive, Deborah Conrad, a physician's assistant, blows the whistle on COVID jab injuries and the fact that these injuries, by and large, are not being reported. 
According to Conrad, shortly after the mass vaccination campaign began, she started seeing a surprising number of hospital patients who had recently received a COVID shot and were now testing positive for COVID-19. In particular, patients were coming in with pneumonia and this was happening even in the middle of the summer. It's become so common, Conrad refers to 2021 as the year of pneumonia. Sepsis cases have also increased. After the COVID jab rollout, she also noticed a marked increase in heart attacks, strokes, blood clots, gastrointestinal complaints and bleeds, appendicitis, pancreatitis and recurrent cancers. All of these were noticeably increased, she says, and everybody seemed to notice it. Most healthcare workers know nothing about theirs. Conrad, who has worked as a PA for 17 years, admits she knew nothing about the US vaccine adverse event reporting system, VAERS, prior to the COVID vaccination campaign. This is the case with most healthcare work providers. None of them were ever educated on how to identify potential vaccine injuries, how to report them, or that they have a legal requirement to report all emergency use vaccine injuries. When it comes to conventional vaccines, reporting to VAERS is voluntary. Not so with emergency use vaccines, however. Vaccine injuries caused by a vaccine under emergency use authorization must be reported to VAERS by law. However, as noted by Conrad, there's been absolutely no training on how to do so. She was shocked to realise healthcare providers are actually required by law to report suspected EUA vaccine injuries. That's emergency use authorisation. As none of the hospital staff had been instructed to do so. But on page 12 of Pfizer's fact sheet for healthcare providers administering vaccine, it states that the, vaccine, the vaccination provider is responsible for mandatory reporting of the following to the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. Vaccine administration errors, whether or not associated with an adverse event. Serious adverse events, irrespective of attribution to vaccination. Cases of multisystem inflammatory syndrome, MIS, in adults and children. And cases of COVID-19 that re result in hospitalisation or death. Complete and submit reports to VAERS online at vaers.hhs.gov forward slash report event html. Blah, blah, blah. Doctors have a health, public health duty to report side effects. In addition to a lack of education about theirs, one of the reasons why so few physicians report suspected vaccine injuries is because there are no penalties for failing to fulfil your legal responsibilities. It's essentially not enforced. It's worth noting that it's not the doctor's job to decide whether an injury is caused by a vaccine or not. The language in VAERS is very clear on this. They are simply to report any adverse health condition that occurs after a vaccination has been given. Over time, as reports accumulate, the FDA and CDC can then start to see potential associations. And if a particular condition occurs at high frequency after a particular vaccine is given, the link would then, theoretically at least, be investigated further. In short, VAERS function is to signal potential side effects that weren't known before. Naturally, collecting data on side effects is particularly crucial when dealing with a brand new, never previously used medical product, such as these mRNA and DNA-based COVID injections. Every healthcare worker in the nation really ought to be on the lookout for potential side effects and diligently fulfil their public health duty to report any and all health effects that occur within a month or two at minimum after the injections. We are, after all, in a mass experiment and without rigorous data collection, how can we possibly understand what these injections are doing? VAERS is a crucial tool to ensure vaccine safety. As soon as Conrad became aware of her responsibility to report side effects, she started filing reports, but there were so many that quickly that became a full-time job, she says. Within a month, She'd already reported 50 suspected vaccine injuries. Fact checkers typically dismiss VAERS data as unreliable because anyone can file a report. The fact that a patient experienced a problem after vaccination also does not mean that the vaccine was the cause. 
Such debunking attempts do not hold water, however. First of all, filing a VAERS report is not a quick and easy task. It's very time-consuming and requires detailed data on blood work, symptoms, previous medical history, vaccine lot numbers, and much more. What's more, there's no save feature, so you cannot walk away from it midstream or the system will log you out and you have to start all over again. So to say VAERS is not optimised for ease of use and compliance is a profoundly serious understatement. Conrad and many other doctors have stated that their system will often also fail to authenticate once you hit submit and erase the whole report. It's almost like it was intentionally designed to discourage reporting. There's also no incentive to spend your days filing false reports as there are penalties for doing so. This is in stark contrast to not filing a report which carries no penalty. What's more, while a patient or parent can file a report, most reports are done by medical professionals and they're not going to waste their time filing false reports. Then there's the actual purpose of theirs, which, as mentioned, is to signal potential problems. It's true, any single report cannot be taken as proof that the vaccine caused a problem, but when you have thousands or tens of thousands of reports of a given effect, that's a signal that there might be a link. This is clearly expressed on the FDA's website. The purpose of VAERS is to detect possible signals of adverse events associated with vaccines. VAERS collects and analyzes information from reports of adverse events, possible side effects, that occur after the administration of US licensed vaccines. Avoiding vaccine hesitancy deemed more important than safety. Once Conrad started getting overwhelmed by the task of filing reports, she asked the hospital administration for help. She wanted the administration to educate the staff so that everyone could all pitch in and do the right thing by identifying injuries and filing reports. Instead of getting the assistance she expected, she ran into a brick wall of resistance. The vaccination push was in full swing and no one was willing to raise questions about vaccine safety as it might promote vaccine hesitancy. Remarkably, promoting the idea that the shots are perfectly safe, even if untrue, was deemed more important than making sure patients were not being harmed by the millions. Conrad then called her hospital's president to ask why side effects were not routinely reported to VAERS as required by law. The president replied he believes the position the system has taken is that each provider has the responsibility to report on their own patient. But how can they do that if they're not educated about what they're supposed to be reporting, Conrad asked. He told her providers should educate themselves when they're dealing with patients related to COVID vaccinations. After that, the risk management team told her she was no longer allowed to file reports on behalf of other doctors. She could only file reports for her own patients. She also received a written warning saying she must support the hospital's approach to the vaccine per CDC and Department of Health guidance. Historically, vaccine injury, injuries are routinely underreported. As explained by Conrad, as adult care providers, they rarely deal with vaccinations, as adults receive very few vaccines. Paediatricians are typically the ones who administer vaccines, and they give them to babies and young children. Hence, paediatricians may be more familiar with theirs. However, even among paediatricians, knowledge and use of theirs is limited. And this has been known for over a decade, as noted in the so-called Lazarus Report, formerly titled Electronic Support for Public Health Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, published in late 2010, preliminary data were collected from June 2006 through October 2009 on 715,000 patients and 1.4 million doses of 45 different vaccines were given to 376,452 individuals. Of these doses, 35,570 possible reactions, which is 2.6% of vaccinations, were identified. This is an average of 890 possible events, an average of 1.3 events per clinician per month. These data were presented at the 2009 AMIA conference 
In addition, ESP VAERS investigators participated on a panel to explore the perspective of clinicians, electronic health record vendors, the pharmaceutical industry and the FDA towards systems that use proactive automated adverse event reporting. Adverse events from drugs and vaccines are common but underreported, although 25% of ambulatory patients experience an adverse drug event, less than 0.3% of all adverse drug events and 1-13% to of serious events are reported to the FDA. Likewise, fewer than 1% of vaccine adverse events are reported. Low reporting rates preclude or slow the identification of problem drugs and vaccines that endanger public health. New surveillance methods for drug and vaccine adverse effects are needed. Barriers to reporting include a lack of clinician awareness, uncertainty about when and what to report, as well as the burdens of reporting. Reporting is not part of clinicians' usual workflow, takes time and is duplicative. CDC's new system showed 1 in 10 had reactions. This report has an interesting backstory. In 2010, the CDC actually hired a company to automate theirs. Any patient who received a vaccine within the Harvard Pilgrim HMO automatically had their medical records scanned for the next 30 days, such as diagnostic codes, lab tests and drug prescriptions. Any health problem suggestive of an adverse event was then automatically uploaded into the VAERS database. Remarkably, preliminary data showed nearly 1 in 10 people suffering a reaction after vaccination. Yet the official CDC mantra is that the risk for serious vaccine injury or death is one in a million. Unfortunately, while the creation of VAERS in 1986 was an opportunity to get a firmer grasp of the number of potential vaccine reactions, injuries and deaths occurring after vaccinations given in the US, the CDC didn't follow through and the project fell by the wayside. As noted by the authors, the plan to automate VAERS reporting didn't happen because the necessary CDC contacts were no longer available and the CDC consultants responsible for receiving data were no longer responsive to our multiple requests to proceed with testing and evaluation. Why did the CDC drop this project? Don't they want to protect public health from potentially dangerous products? Did they think the truth might destroy the vaccine industry? And of course, we know that the CDC and the um, and possibly the FDA, I'm not absolutely sure, are largely funded by the pharmaceutical companies. So it's like, you know, the, the fox guarding the hen house. Surprising rise in cancer and other odd conditions. As mentioned, Conrad saw a dramatic rise in several different health problems as the COVID jabs were rolled out. One of the most surprising problems has been a sudden rise in cancers among vaccinated patients whose cancer had gone into remission before the jab. Big Tree points out he's spoken with a number of oncologists who have made the same observation in their practices. These cancers tend to be very sudden in onset and highly aggressive, often leading to death. She's also seeing new cancers that appear out of nowhere and rarer types of cancer such as solid organ tumours that kill the patient before a biopsy can even be taken. Blood clots and strokes have also skyrocketed and these occur even in patients who are on maximum doses of anticoagulants. Odd and unusual neurological problems with seizures and tremors are also becoming more commonplace, as is pneumonia and sepsis. Are we in a pandemic of the unvaccinated? When asked if a majority of the patients in her hospital are unvaccinated, which is what we're being told, she says no, quite the opposite. She's been tracking the numbers for a couple of months and as just one example on one particular day in July, of the 35 patients admitted, 30 were fully vaccinated and all of the seven patients in the intensive care unit were fully vaccinated. This despite the fact that at that time the county vaccination rate was only between 40 and 45%. She points out that these vaccinated patients were not all COVID-19 patients but were admitted for all sorts of health issues. 
Many vaccinated patients have also been readmitted several times since they got their shot. While Conrad has done everything she can to protect public health up until now, having filed more than 120 VAERS reports so far, she won't be fighting on the front lines any longer. She's being let go from her job at the end of September 21 for refusing to get the COVID shot. After everything she's seen, I'm more afraid of the vaccine than I am of COVID, she says. The likely result of this tyrannical intervention. This is the ultimate irony. Conrad is clearly one of the most compassionate, high integrity and absolutely committed health professionals in that hospital. And they are firing her for adhering to her constitutional rights. I think this is precisely the behaviour that will ultimately lead to the self-destruction of our society. You simply can't fire tens of millions of some of the brightest and most honest people in the country who adhere to personal freedom and liberty and not expect it to have devastating consequences. Who will be left to do the work? The majority of these people being terminated are highly trained professionals that can't be easily replaced. It is clear they don't understand the results of these tyrannical interventions. It's beyond evident that we are in for some very rocky times with massive shortages as people are fired from their jobs. So be prepared, folks, and stock up as if you were expecting a hurricane and knew you'd have no access to outside help for three to six months. I hope this doesn't happen, but everything is pointing to this outcome. Vaccine-injured patients want to be heard. The sad truth is we're in an epidemic of vaccine injuries and injured patients are now routinely ignored by the very people who encourage them to get the shot. To get an idea of what the risks actually are, check out some of the cases reported to nomoresilence.world and c19vaxreactions.com, two websites dedicated to giving a voice to those injured by COVID shots. You can also browse through more than 246,000 comments left on a Facebook post by WXYZTV Channel 7. They asked people who had lost an unvaccinated loved one to COVID-19 to contact them for a story. But what they got was an avalanche of stories of vaccine injuries and deaths instead. Below is a sampling of comments posted on the site. How about doing a story about my uncle who was in fine shape until he got vaccinated? Or my boss's uncle, who was healthy and in his 50s, then died suddenly a week after getting vaccinated. My sister-in-law's father died of a stroke 48 hours after Modernavax. He was active and healthy. The shot murdered my friend three weeks after he got it. I know two women who had strokes right after their shot. We lost an uncle to heart inflammation two days after he received the vaccine. Lost a very dear man after his second dose of the vaccine. He said he regretted getting it and he advised me not to get it. How about reporting on those? He died of a brain aneurysm and was a very healthy man. My beautiful mother passed away recently, 23 days after having the first AstraZeneca shot that I didn't know she was getting. Immunisation was the cause of death on her death certificate. I now know more people injured by the vaccine than people who even had COVID. No, but I know of two people who died from COVID after being fully vaccinated. My uncle passed away three months after his second shot. He was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer, had surgery, was released to rehab and then died of a blood clot. Thanks, Pfizer. I know of two women who had miscarriages within two days of taking it. As noted by one commenter, doesn't sound like you're getting the story you need, judging by the vast majority of these comments about vaccine losses and side effects. Since there is such an overwhelming outpouring of vaccine reactions, maybe do a story about that, which of course they won't because they're part of the fake news who are trying to perpetuate this lie that vaccines, or this vaccine, if you can call it that, is safe and effective. And this is why I titled the show Crimes Against Humanity. So people are now being coerced into getting this shot, which is actually illegal, 
because the stocks of the vaccines are still those that are under emergency use authorization. This kind of bait and switch, as it's called, I do have a um, an article on that. This, if I have time for it, regarding the so-called approval of the Pfizer vaccine, um, <clears throat> is such that nobody is receiving the approved vaccine, which is has a different name. It's modernity. Um, whereas the ones under emergency use authorization are of a different name. So the, the law states that once a vaccine has been approved, then all the emergency use authorized vaccines have to be withdrawn because they're experimental. This hasn't happened. So what does that tell you about this so-called approval? But they use this to con people into thinking that um, these vaccines could now be mandated, which they cannot because they're still emergency use. And that goes against the Nuremberg Code. Um, <clears throat> of course, this uh, uh, announcement by Biden about a vaccine mandate, the Federalist has written that it actually doesn't exist. And I'll, I'll just take you through this article uh, Joe Biden's vaccine mandate doesn't exist. It's just a press release. Americans are no longer living under representative government. We are living under government by the screen people, of the screen people, for the screen people. And this is this was published on the 7th. Yes, we've heard all about Joe Biden's alleged vaccine mandate for private companies employing 100 or more people. It was all over the news even before he announced it on September the 9th. His announcement has jeopardized the employment of millions of Americans and increased worker shortages in critical domains such as health care. There's only one problem. It's all a mirage. Biden's so-called vaccine mandate doesn't exist, at least not yet. So far, all we have is his press conference and other such made-for-media huff-puffing. No such rule even claiming to be legally binding has been issued yet. That's why nearly two dozen Republican attorneys general who have publicly voiced their opposition to the clearly unconstitutional and illegal mandate haven't yet filed suit against it, the office of the Indiana Attorney General confirmed for me. There is no mandate to haul into court, and that may be part of the plan. According to several sources, so far it appears no such mandate has been sent to the White House's Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs yet for approval. The White House, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, and the Department of Labor haven't released any official guidance for the alleged mandate. There is no executive order. There's nothing but press statements. Despite what you may have been falsely led to believe by the media fantasy projection machine, press statements have exactly zero legal authority. There is nothing there yet that gives employers any mandate. Stephanie McFarlane, spokeswoman for the Indiana Occupational Safety and Health Administration, told me October 6th. The president made an announcement on this asking OSHA to do it, but we've not yet seen anything come from it yet, she said. When the state agency gets any further information, she said, they'll review it. To impose the public perception of a mandate, the Biden administration is following an unusual rulemaking process it also employed earlier this year, called an Emergency Temporary Standard ETS. The spring ETS rule took nearly six months to issue. Meanwhile, Companies are telling reporters their vaccine mandates will have at the latest December deadlines. For those who can't calendar, that's four months after Biden's non-existent mandate was proclaimed. According to OSHA, an ETS takes up to six months to go into effect after the initial mandate is issued in the Federal Register, which again for the proclaimed 100 employee mandate hasn't happened yet. Lawyers for big business were blunt about their love for this mandate, Mirage. Everybody loves this cover. Minneapolis employment lawyer Kate Bischoff told Bloomberg Law in September. Many were already looking down the road at doing this, but the fact that they get to blame Biden is like manna from heaven. 
using the ETS procedure instead of normal federal rulemaking processes both allows the Biden administration to push its demands faster and without any public input or requirement of responding to public input, which is normally required of even legally laughable federal rulemaking like this one would be. That is part of why ETS rules have been overwhelmingly overturned in courts. OSHA has used that legal authority only 10 times in 50 years, David Rivkin Jr. and Robert Alt wrote in the Wall Street Journal in September. Courts have decided challenges to six of those standards, nixing five and upholding only one. There are many other reasons any federal vaccine mandate would be obviously illegal and unconstitutional, Rifkin and Alt write, including that the states have plenary police power to regulate health and safety. Congress has only those limited powers enumerated in the Constitution. That wouldn't include the authority to impose a $155 fine, today's equivalent of the $5 at stake in Jacobson, on an individual who declines to be vaccinated, much less to prevent him from earning a livelihood. But who needs the Constitution when you have an American people conditioned for compliance with even wildly outlandish things the screen people insist they must think and do? Earlier this week, the Wall Street Journal published a letter from Bruce Atkinson making several excellent observations about the non-existent mandate, including the following. The mandate's non-existence shields the Biden administration from legal challenges that may ultimately restrict the Occupational Safety and Health Administration's authority. Yet the mandate is still effective at compelling industries and companies into compliance as it leaves room for any eventual issuance to target non-compliant entities. This implied cudgel is particularly effective on industries and companies that are dependent on federal spending or the goodwill of federal regulators. The non-existent mandate also allows so inclined state and local governments and companies to issue their own mandates, seemingly in lockstep with Washington. The Biden White House has been well served by presenting a non-existent mandate as a done deal. What the article then goes on to say is how weak Republicans and um, weak governors are allowing the Democrats to get away with all of this. She says... um, What Democrats are doing as Republicans stand down yet again is a moral and constitutional abomination. Not even the fig leaf pose of a pen signing balderdash filled documents is needed for today's Democrats. Whatever they say, you do. You have no rights or say in the matter, no possibility to objecting to even them forcibly injecting things into your own body and the bodies of your children. These people believe they are royalty and too many Americans are acting like they're these losers serfs instead of citizens endowed by God with inalienable rights, including the right to consent through elected representatives, not never elected dictatorial bureaucrats, to rules that restrict our rights, everyday lives and human dignity. Absolutely spot on and people are being conned into bowing to these illegal mandates and you know just encouraging more draconian uh, lockdowns and actions because as we've said many times this is not about health it's about control. Now we have a large group of um, doctors physicians who are pushing back against the way that this um, COVID-19 situation is being used as biological warfare and you can find it doctorsandscientistsdeclaration.org Physicians Declaration Global COVID Summit in Rome, Italy International Alliance of Physicians and Medical Scientists September 2021 Um, and as of 1pm Eastern Time on the 8th of October Over 11,400 doctors and scientists have signed the Rome Declaration. And, of course, all of these scientists that are pushing back have been continually censored and um, basically blocked 
Um, we, the physicians of the world, united and loyal to the Hippocratic Oath, recognising the profession of medicine as we know it is at a crossroad, are compelled to declare the following. Whereas it is our utmost responsibility and duty to uphold and restore the dignity, integrity, art and science of medicine, whereas there is an unprecedented assault on our ability to care for our patients, whereas public policy makers have chosen to force a one-size-fits-all treatment strategy, resulting in needless illness and death, rather than upholding fundamental concepts of the individualised, personalised approach to patient care, which is proven to be safe and more effective, whereas physicians and other healthcare providers working on the front lines, utilising their knowledge of epidemiology, pathophysiology and pharmacology, are often first to identify new potentially life-saving treatments, whereas physicians are increasingly being discouraged from engaging in open professional discourse and the exchange of ideas about new and emerging diseases, not only endangering the essence of the medical profession, but more importantly, more tragically, the lives of our patients, whereas thousands of physicians are being prevented from providing treatment to their patients, as a result of barriers put up by pharmacies, hospitals and public health agencies, rendering the vast majority of healthcare providers helpless to protect their patients in the face of disease. Physicians are now advising their patients to simply go home, allowing the virus to replicate and return when their disease worsens, resulting in hundreds of thousands of unnecessary patient deaths due to failure to treat. Whereas this is not medicine, this is not care, these policies may actually constitute crimes against humanity. Now therefore, it is resolved that the physician-patient relationship must be restored. The very heart of medicine is this relationship which allows physicians to best understand their patients and their illnesses, to formulate treatments that give the best chance for success, while the patient is an active participant in their care. Resolved that the political intrusion into the practice of medicine and the physician-patient relationship must end. Physicians and all healthcare providers must be free to practice the art and science of medicine without fear of retribution, censorship, slander or disciplinary action, including possible loss of licensure and hospital privileges, loss of insurance contracts and interference from government entities and organisations which further prevent us from caring for patients in need, more than ever, the right and ability to exchange objective scientific findings which further our understanding of disease must be protected. Resolved that physicians must defend their right to, to prescribe treatment. Observing the tenant, first do no harm. Physicians shall not be restricted from prescribing safe and effective treatments. These restrictions continue to cause unnecessary sickness and death. The rights of patients, after being fully informed about the risks and benefits of each option, must be restored to receive those treatments. Resolved that we invite physicians of the world and all healthcare providers to join us in this noble cause as we endeavour to restore trust, integrity and professionalism to the practice of medicine. Resolved that we invite the scientists of the world who are skilled in biomedical research and uphold the highest ethical and moral standards to insist on their ability to conduct and publish objective empirical research without fear of reprisal upon their careers, reputations and livelihoods. Resolved that we invite patients who believe in the importance of the physician-patient relationship and the ability to be active participants in their care to demand our access to science-based medical care in witness whereof the undersigned has signed this declaration as of the date first written. And it's basically open to mainly doctors. I'm not even sure if um, people who aren't um, physicians, doctors, can actually sign this. So, um, But it's interesting, I don't know what will come from this, but I, I know from previous... Um, information I'd seen that there is a group of doctors who have filed lawsuits in the International um, Court of Human Rights claiming crimes against humanity. Now, I don't know what the latest is on that, so um, I'll have to do some digging and find out what stage it's at. 
The other thing that's happened this week in the COVID world is the um, that Project Veritas has been putting out um, these videos regarding um, whistleblowers' testimony and also what they've caught on tape uh, from the from the various vaccine manufacturers. Now, I don't have time to go into that. What I suggest you do is you can go to Project Veritas's channel on Telegram and that gives you all the information about what these um, videos have revealed. But in a nutshell, um, Johnson Johnson employees said kids shouldn't get an effing vaccination. Um, Pfizer was trying to cover up the fact that fetal cells were used in the uh, production of these vaccines and so on and so forth. So um, I think more of that will come out. And finally, um, Wayne Root on Gateway Pundit um, was uh, put out an article, it's time for civil disobedience, here is how we stop Biden vaccine mandates. And he just he talks about uh, Martin Luther King talking about peaceful protests and non-compliance and basically championing that. And I think we that's what we have to do. We have to just say no. There are more of us than there are of them. So otherwise, these um, actions by the deep state are just going to get more and more tyrannical. So I just want to cover a few things on the uh, election 2020 news. I haven't got a lot of time left for that, but this is a memorandum for record. and It's dated October the 4th, 2021, and it has the signatures, and I can't even count them, but there's a comment underneath. This was posted on Telegram, um, and it was, I don't have a name for the person that posted it. Oh, yes, it's in the Matrix. 92 legislators from multiple states write a letter to the American people calling for a 50-state audit, decertification where appropriate, and possible convening of the U.S. House of Representatives. And no surprise, the first signatory is Wendy Rogers from Arizona, who's been um, very um, vocal about the election fraud, and also Sonny Borelli and Kelly Townsend, Arizona, Mark Fincham, um, other names I'm not familiar with from Arizona, but also from many other states as well. And the subject, letter from state legislators to the American people referenced the 2020 election. To the citizens of the United States of America, we the undersigned state legislators of the United States are vested with the plenary power by our U.S. Constitution, Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2, to oversee the election of the President of the United States. It has come to our attention from an audit of 2.1 million ballots in Arizona, complemented by an in-depth canvas of voters in Arizona, as well as through multiple different data reviews of voting by independent experts, that our representative republic suffered a corrupted 2020 election. In addition to Arizona, sworn affidavits have accumulated from many states detailing rampant corruption and mismanagement in the election process. Fraud and inaccuracies have already been shown through multiple audits and canvases in multiple states, as well as through lawsuits challenging the validity of election results in several counties in multiple states. We have come to the conclusion that all 50 states need to be forensically audited, Voter rolls should be scrubbed with a canvas of the voters to ensure future integrity of our elections. If results from these measures prove an inaccurate election was held, as has been shown in Arizona and is being shown in many other states, then it is clear that certification of many electors was improperly rendered in January 2021 of the November 2020 United States presidential election. We call on each state to decertify its electors where it has been shown the elections were certified prematurely and inaccurately. If it is shown that either Joe Biden would receive fewer than 270 tallied electoral votes or Donald Trump would receive more than 270 electoral votes, then we call for the U.S. House of Representatives to convene and vote per the U.S. Constitution by means of one vote per state to decide the rightful winner of the election in accordance with the constitutional process of choosing electors. 
This is our historic obligation to restore the election integrity of the vote as the bedrock of our constitutional republic. If we do not have accurate and fair elections, we do not have a country. So <clears throat> good to see so many more people standing up uh, in positions of power. And <clears throat> there's a, also from Telegram. And this was part of a letter signed by Terpsihore P. Maris. And I don't have a clue who that is, but... It's, it's just the, the final part of the letter. Brennan, Brennan used federal taxpayer money to help contract out the fine-tuning of core software upon which all election machines run. This is not a Dominion software issue only, as both CCP and Pakistani ISI, Islamic Security Intelligence, professionals were involved. When I arrived approximately 12 days ago, I asked for a collection of routers from non-contested states in order to SIP and locate the IP access point. All 50 states and territories all connect to one location that gives a portal into the script parking. The actions so far that I have witnessed indicate an active coup. We would have found who, what and where already if this was done. And this was signed on the 25th of November 2020. Very interesting. And just a quick mention of um, the Arizona audit. This is Gateway Pundit not making headlines. Arizona audit could not find the identity of 86,391 voters. They don't appear to exist and 73.8% are Democrat or no party affiliation. Uh, this was actually published on September 27th. The Arizona audit could not find an identity match on 86,391 people. This is disclosed on page 56 of the results details report. These Maricopa voters cast ballots in November 2020 and don't seem to exist. The ones registered as Democrat or selected no party affiliation represent a whopping 73.8% of these unknown voters. That's 63,757 ballots. Not selecting a party makes monitoring of nefarious registrations much harder, as everything not R or D is bulked together as other. Even the new state voter registration form now only has three categories, R, D, other, and some registration reporting reduced to similar. And it shows no record of voters in commercial database. It's an extract from the report. Cyber Ninjas used Melissa Personator, which is arguably the best commercial service to validate US or Canadian identities. It scours private and government databases, including USPS and Social Security Administration. Cyber Ninjas oddly concludes most of these unknowns might be real people that just have limited public records. Our name, date of birth, social security number and address are in every state and fed database. If you can't be found using these credentials, something is definitely wrong. The Ninjas didn't consider Maricopa's history, its registration battles or issues with non-citizen voters. They make no consideration the database might have been manipulated, but no, it was hacked November 5th, 2020. Had the Senate subpoenaed Maricopa's VRAS service and tasked Cypher to investigate, we might know a whole lot more. So um, I'm not going to read the rest of that article. Um, I just want to cover a couple of other things before I finish. This is a, a conservative brief article, and it was published October the 6th. Former Missouri Governor Gret Gretens calls for electors to be recalled in Arizona. Um, former Missouri GOP Eric Gretens spoke with Arizona state legislators this week on his way to the U.S.-Mexico border, and he's calling for major action in the state. Gretens and Arizona State Senator Wendy Rogers spoke with conservative correspondent Jordan Conradson, the Arizona capital, about the audit of 2.1 million ballots in Maricopa County. Gretens, who is running for U.S. Senate in 2022, met with Arizona legislators to learn more about the audit and discuss steps to fix elections moving forward. 
Conradson, the last time you were here, you said no ballots, no victory. It seems that they found those ballots, but they seem to be fake. The mainstream media is running with Biden won, the ballots are there. But what do you think of the Arizona audit results? Do fake ballots equal victory? Gretens, here's what patriots know, is that thanks to the patriotism and the courage of State Senator Wendy Rogers, thanks to the patriotism and courage of State Senator Sonny Borelli and their colleagues who fought to get this audit done, we now know the truth. They need to be decertified. Why? Because this was an election that was rife with fraud and illegal ballots. And again, thanks to Senate Rogers, Senator Rogers, we now know the truth. Conradson. So you just met with State Senator Rogers, Boris Epstein, and State Representative Mark Fincham. What did you guys talk about? Gretens. Well, the last time I was here, I came down to the front lines to see the incredible work that these patriots were doing, leading the country to get to the truth about what happened in the 2020 election. And it was an exceptional audit. I believe that it was the most intense, thorough, clear and transparent audit in the history of our republic. Now we're here talking in detail about what they found and also perhaps most importantly about next steps. State Senator Rogers is continuing to lead. She's got a letter that's being signed by state reps and state senators around the country. That's the one that I've just read to you. And I'll tell you this, we need to have every state rep and senator, not just in Missouri, but around the country, who believes in election integrity, go out and show that you're serious. Go out and show that you support President Trump. Go out and show that you support the America First movement to get to the bottom of our elections by going out and signing Senator Rogers' letter. That's what needs to happen. We're talking next steps now. Conradson, Senator Rogers, what's it going to take to decertify this election? Rogers, we have to get everybody on board. We're making progress every day. As Governor Gretens mentioned, my phone is blowing up now with state senators and state representatives from so many other states who want to get on board, who want to get on the right side of history. They know this snowball is coming down the hill. They know that what we've shown here in the Arizona audit and more is going to come out. I'm sure with Attorney General Brunovich's findings, possibly of criminal misconduct. And so this is all coming out. And no matter how much the truth is being attempted to be suppressed. And it's got a video of these uh, discussions that um, were included in the article. No matter what the regime propaganda press tries, no matter how the left tries to suppress the truth, the truth is getting out. And today, more Americans than ever before are demanding that their elected leaders stand up and demand election integrity. So, folks, we are winning this fight. Stay on board, stay engaged and keep pushing for the truth, Gretton said. So <clears throat> that's very encouraging that more and more um, senators and representatives are stepping up and calling for forensic audits everywhere. I know we're all getting impatient. This seems to be dragging on and dragging on. Meanwhile, this um, criminal administration is destroying the country. We're seeing similar things happen across the world, actually. I've mentioned before about Australia and um, the UK all weaponizing this COVID-19 scandemic and, of course, the vaccine. Um, and vaccine passports and so it goes on and as I was saying a little earlier we just have to refuse to comply I do not comply and the more of us that refuse to comply um, you know the more we push back on these unconstitutional actions so as I often say you know keep the faith trust the plan there is um mention of something called devolution i haven't had chance to uh, investigate that but uh, there's a series of articles written by page P patel patriot i think the name is so i may well go over that next week uh, there's 12 articles so far but it's basically outlining what this person believes is the actual plan now how true that is i don't know but we'll maybe take a look at 
bit next week. The other thing I just wanted to mention before I finish is there is a website which actually has all the information about election fraud and the website is electionfraud20.org and it lists out the different states and the number of um, disputed ballots and so on so you can go and have a look at that and uh, see the extent to which this fraud has happened so that's all I have time for this week hope you'll join me for another cosmic creating show next week um, just to remind you, you can find me at the successalchemist.net, thewebalchemist.net and empoweredmanifestation.com. I'd like to thank Nancy for producing as always and stay well, be safe and bye for now. You have been listening to the Cosmic Creating Radio Show with Jan Shaw, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio. Live long and prosper.